Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Another Friday, another podcast, and we've got a great one for you today. Uh, back on the engine parts and pieces, we've got a podcast today about pistons. So a lot that you can learn about pistons in this particular podcast, and it's going to be a good one. But before we get into that, make sure that you guys support our sponsors, uh, VW Trends Magazine, a magazine for the people, by the people, not the same old stuff that's on the shelf, a lot of how-tos, water-cooled cars, and lots of event coverage. So make sure you guys subscribe today at vwtrendsmagazine.com. Also, Ross Wolf, high-quality aftermarket parts, built for enthusiasts by enthusiasts. Their never-ending list of parts continues to keep growing. So go check out their website at rosswolf.com. Get yourself some cool stuff for your car, quality performance parts. Pick them up today at rosswolf.com. Matter of fact, if you're driving a bus, go get yourself some stainless steel billet bus deck lid hinges. You'll thank me later for those. So go check them out today, rosswolf.com. This week's podcast is with Trevor Cleveland. Now, Trevor reached out to me. Uh, he works for a piston manufacturing company that's based in Gardner. Uh, he works for a piston company. United Engine and Machine in Carson City, and they manufacture thousands of pistons. They've been in business for over 100 years, and he's a VW guy. He actually drives a 69 Fastback, and he's got a big motor in that dude, and we get deep in the weeds talking about piston, piston technology, and a lot of the different things that are out there, what's available on the market, what they bring to the table, and you, if you've heard of Icon Pistons, that's who manufactures Icon Pistons. So it was pretty cool to do this podcast let you guys know that we have someone working on the inside for us VW enthusiasts to try to get more quality aftermarket VW parts out there. So it's a great podcast. It's a good listen. So you're going to learn a lot about pistons today if you didn't know, and now you're going to know. So it's great. And you'll squeeze a lot of information out of the lemon we're squeezing today. So don't forget, if you want a shout out on the podcast, go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to leave your name in the review as well as pick up some merch on our website at letstalkdubs.com and support your favorite podcast. So get some merch. We've got sweatshirts for wintertime. I do not have one of them posted up. I'll fix that tomorrow. One man band, just doing it on my own. But uh, go check that out. You guys want to support. Don't forget, uh, most importantly, we're at 294 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Why can't 100 of you guys go and put reviews up there? Just go give it five stars. Let's get to 500 reviews. Uh, I'd appreciate if you guys put something in the review so that I could read it on the air. So it's that time. Let's get into it with Trevor Cleveland and a lot of piston talk. United Engine Machine, manufacturers of Icon Pistons, this week on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Everybody. So on today's podcast, one of the listeners reached out to me and I was pretty excited to hear uh, to hear from this 
guest that's going to be on today, who's no longer, he's moved now from the category of listener to podcast alumni after this episode. And what's really exciting to me is when we get into the VW hobby and all of us are different respective day jobs and positions are able to, you know, if we work at a machine shop, we can make this or we do that. We can, we can bring this to the market. And a lot of things in our hobby have come about that way. Well, what's really exciting is our guest today is Trevor Cleveland, and he works for a company up in Gardnerville, Nevada, called United Engine and Machine. They're one of the largest piston manufacturers in the nation, I think, and we'll get all that detailed as soon as we start chatting with him. But what's cool about that, he's a VW guy, and he's got them to start manufacturing some performance pistons, and this is the big daddy piston company. So uh, today, so I'd like to welcome the podcast, Trevor Cleveland. Trevor, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, buddy. So... I appreciate you reaching out to me. I'm stoked to get in this conversation. Give us a little kind of a thumbnail view of kind of you and the, you know, United Engine Machine and and that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, personally, I've been into Volkswagens, you know, since I was 16, 17. A buddy of mine got them, got me into them when I was in high school. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, um, currently have a 69 Fastback that I love to death. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I've been, uh, you know, early in my career, you know, you kind of hop around from thing to thing. And luckily, I was fortunate enough to get into the automotive industry, um, which is, you know, where my passions lie, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, first I worked for a gasket and gasketry company, and then I came on with United Engine and Machine. Very and cool. um you know, I've been able to, you know, help folks figure out piston selection and, and what works out, you know, for their builds, you know, so it's, um, it's been really exciting. Uh, United Engine Machine 2, uh, they've been around since 1922. Wow. Um, they are the oldest still, you know, casting in the United States, uh, piston manufacturer. Um, well, let me back up. Not, we're not casting in the United States anymore, but we are, we have been, the company has been based in the United States since 1922. Mm-hmm. Um, our factory is down in Aqua Prieta, Mexico. Um, but, uh, we, we own the facility. So it's, it's still ours. We're still down there all the time. Um, you know, but, now, uh, you guys make like quite a few different pistons, right? What, what, what is the array of pistons that you make? Like how many different piston okay. models you make <laughs> um well i mean when, when it comes to the brands uh it starts off with Silverlight, which is a stock replacement cast piston whether it's a standard you know 332 alloy replacement piston uh, or a hyper eutectic like what's in today's normal cars um uh the next brand would be KB, which a lot of people are familiar with in the Type 4 world mm-hmm. uh, because we make the hypotectics, you know, for the Type 4 engines. Um, and then it moves on to Icon, which is our forged lineup. Um, and that's, you know, the, the product line that I'm, you know, trying to push <laughs> today. Um, and then we have Dual Alloy, which is it was diesel pistons. So we kind of cover everything. I mean, totally in your catalog, you guys, you guys sell how many different model numbers of pistons? Like, um, I want to say it's around twenty five hundred different pistons. So twenty five hundred. I mean, so so the reality is, you guys, that's the only business that you have now. Obviously, right. the names that you have are different, 
series of pistons or different brand names of pistons to align them with kind of what the expectation is from silver light for stock replacement to, you know, for uh, dual alloy for diesel and heavy duty stuff. So, um, right. What I what I kind of want to do real quick before we jump into all this is mm-hmm. we always get, you know, your VW story and how you got into Volkswagen. I know you got you said a 69 Fastback, which is cool still. Right. It's still the slope nose Fastback. Um, yep. What's So well, the way we always typically start the podcast is what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Okay. All right. Uh, so I, I grew up in Palmdale, California. Um and I was sitting in an English class one day and literally the guy next to me uh, who uh, got me into Volkswagens, his name is Elliot. Uh, he, we started talking about cars and I was you know, all about the muscle cars. And he kept ta- telling me about how these little Volkswagens, if you hopped them up, you could wipe the floor with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I didn't believe him or, you know, <laughs> so it was, it became a competition almost. And yeah. uh, so he, you know, finally, and he's like, Hey, why don't you, you know, come check these out and, and whatnot. And I rode home with him in a 67, uh, bug. And, you know, I just, it's fun. You know, the Volkswagens, when it comes to, what is it? The Farfugnugan, you know, right. uh, tagline, it's, you know, the joy of driving it, they, these cars more than any other car you know, really give you a sense of you're going out and you're doing something special. You're, you're gonna, you're, you're driving something that's more connected with the road. Right. You know, and that, which is completely different from your mom's Corolla. (laughs) So, but, and and I think maybe one of the things, right? Like when you get a V8 or a muscle car or any of that kind of stuff, I think there's that learning curve that you get into it. But I think a VW has such a low threshold to entry with respect to the cost and, you know, looking at it and grabbing the idiot book. Right? I don't think there's any V8s that have an idiot book. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's yeah. easy to kind of gain that courage, right? So you you ride in the '67 and you you dig that, and then what? So you st- now you start going on the hunt for a Volkswagen or what? So yeah, I mean, it, it became a ritual uh, with me and Elliot. We would uh, and we'd get out of school or on the weekends, and we'd be hunting for Volkswagens. Yeah. You know, looking in people's backyards and you know, asking people, you know, hey, do you want to sell that bug? You want to sell that bus or whatever? And we got chased off quite a bit. Um, so, and me personally, I, I fell in love with Gia's first. Mm-hmm. I thought Gia's were just the coolest looking things. And, and uh, you know, in that, at that time, they're, they're ridiculous expensive now, but at that time, they were far above any budget I could think of. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, they so. were at least they were gears always were you know they were always like four five three four grand they were i could right yeah i hardly ever saw gears like super cheap you know what i mean because they were kind of yeah. they were all a little, little higher echelon volkswagen yeah you know they were more desirable than just your average bug you know yeah. and you know so I, I i totally understood that and but uh you know, I, I didn't get my license till I was 18 because my parents refused to pay for my insurance. You know, and, you know, so when I finally got my license and um, I had a, a Jeep at that time and came across this guy that had this, you know, primer black fastbacks in his driveway. And I'm, I'm not a fan of that Jeep that I'm. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? It's a Volkswagen. I want a Volkswagen. And this thing kind of speaks to me because I love 
you know, Porsche 911s and, and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's got that fastback shape that I love and it's like, why not? So luckily, you know, the guy was up to a trade. So I traded my, my Jeep for that fastback. Nice. You know, and so, and, and then after that, you know, I came with this big folder of, of files and whatnot. And I, I learned that it had been owned by several people I knew, you know, really. And it actually was down the street from me growing up, you know, and I never even had noticed it before, but it was, it was there when I was maybe eight or nine, 10 years old, you know, but never even noticed it when I was that young. So that's cool. You know, it's, it's cool when you kind of, when, and, and maybe you think to yourself like, man, was that car in the back of my head the whole time? Like, was there something about that car that I, right. that I really liked? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you go from being VW, like just VW enthusiast into getting, transitioning into like getting a job in the automotive industry? Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I love to say I, I stumbled into it back asswards. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started out on a shop floor, um, punching out gaskets, loading machines with dies and, and stuff like that. And um, and finally, one day they were like, hey, you know, we need a tech support person, you know, and I raised my hand and they're like, OK, great. You know, and I was able to show the, you know, the chops basically that I could talk with at that time. It was Harley people, mm-hmm. you know, and and I could guide them to the right product and whatnot. And it just kind of grew from there. Um, I started working on designing gasketry, you know, items and and different seals and stuff like that for the newer, newer engines. And, and, uh, you know, I just, my, my qualifications grew, you know, with time at that place. Yeah. And, and by the time I came to United Engine and Machine, I had already had CAD experience. I had already had, you know. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask that. When you said you were designing gaskets and stuff, was that all on CAD, like SolidWorks and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, well, yeah. So right now I use SolidWorks, but uh, uh, yeah, I was with regular AutoCAD before. Yeah. So Back then, starting, know, on a was, grid, starting on a grid and Xing the center and working out from there. and <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, well, in my in my regular business, we own a Flow Water Jet, and the, and the software oh. for programming that is um, – archaic to say the least i mean it's super basic yeah. uh and, and you really kind of design on other things than import drawings for the most part but you we can design on the software itself but it's super you know i by no means i think i'd completely be intimidated by uh a, a real software like uh, solidworks but uh, again i don't work in it that much I, I know enough just to be dangerous you know um, well, I, I, I would definitely say with like, you know, <laughs> without trying to sound like a salesman for SolidWorks or whatnot, um, you know, if you know AutoCAD at all, mm-hmm. SolidWorks ends up being so easy. Yeah. <laughs> so. They just made it, they just made it all interface. Well, you know, it's funny yeah. because it's like, I remember back in the day, you know, with, with software, um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, um, kind of learn how to build a website at some point. And I talked to my computer, but I'm like, dude, there's gotta be a website where I can drag and drop. And you know, there's like an interface where I can do it so easy. And he's like, Oh yeah, there's, it's called Dreamweaver. And so he like gives me a copy of Dreamweaver. And then I just build my own, my very first website, vegasvolks.com, which is no longer up. But it was like, I used to hear from this one guy how difficult it was to program a site. And I said, it can't be. And so I think SolidWorks is kind of that jump, right? Where they, where they make an interface to draw a CAD where it's more, 
uh, the, the, a lot of easy buttons there rather than ma right. manually just draw everything out, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's basically, you start with sketches and, and make, make extrusions and things like that. And you end up with a, the shape and it really, it's, it's almost like you're whittling with a knife. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so now getting to work at the piston company, um, obviously you're, you're in parts, automotive, ma ma machining, stuff like that. Like in that whole world, um, the, the piston company that you work for, I mean, obviously they've been around for, you know, a, a hundred years and, right. and now, you know, is it a family owned company? Like what's the story on the company? Yeah. So, so that's owned by the Sulprezio family. Um, they, you know, it's still owned and operated. It's, you know, father and son running the company right now. Um, it's, <laughs> they're, they're a fantastic family to work for. Um, you know, it, it's, it still feels like a small operation, but we're pumping out thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pistons every, every year, you know, but it's still, you know, it, in Carson city, our, our group is maybe 20 people, Yeah. you know, uh, down in Douglas, Arizona, where our warehouse is, it's maybe another 30. And then the actual factory is 150 to 200 people. So that's crazy. And, and yeah. it's funny because a lot of people think when they hear like, Oh, the manufacturer in Mexico, listen, I'm in the tile business and you can get some Mexican tile. And it is like, like that, that the, antiquity is still built into the product but i think what a lot of people don't realize a lot of the dodge trucks they have manufacturing plants in exactly in mexico like my dodge all the dodge trucks you'll see will have a sticker on them you know assembled in mexico and they do some things like that because of the cost differential for labor which is probably one of the things that's kind of you know it's a whole long drawn out topic but maybe one of the things that's changed the manufacturing aspect of things in the united states because mm -hmm. of you know making it cost prohibitive because by the time you go from manufacturing process to actual production, it becomes so cost prohibitive that we can't be competitive right. in the market. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. And, and without talking about it politically or anything like that, you know, it's the EPA makes yeah. things very difficult. Yes. Um, you know, so it, it just, it is what it is. Unfortunately, these are the times we live in. And the, you you know, know. The, I think the biggest, the, the, the most unfortunate thing about it is you lose so much of that, artisan aspect of crafting things in America that we used to have right. where there were guys that were generation forgers and, and, and guys that had all this stuff that they would just do this work. And we've, you know, we, we've gone to the society where we're no longer making and manufacturing stuff, which is why one of the reasons I, I love the VW hobby so much because there, there's not that much off the shelf you know what I mean? Right. And, and what happens is it's all handmade until someone says, okay, I work at a piston company and I'm going to start, I'm going to push the boss <laughs> to go to this microcosm of a market and say, Hey, let's make some stuff for, for these guys, you know? And, right. you know, yeah. interestingly enough, the VW market is such a huge market worldwide. And, you know, and, and that may be something interesting that we talk about for a minute is like, because it, I, I don't know how it's pronounced Male or Molly pistons or Mala is the, uh, the, the proper pronunciation <laughs> So on the Mala pistons, right? Like that's, that's the company that manufactures, they probably have a lion's share of the Euro car market, I would think. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with obviously with pistons and cylinders and stuff like that, that they've made for Volkswagens forever it's kind of like a market that's, 
you know, that they've had for a long time. But I've heard some things that the quality is not the same today as it was 20 years ago from the same company, you know, and I don't know if it's right because they've changed their manufacturing process or whatever the case is. Because again, with every nation evolving, they push the trades out to other areas because it becomes so cost prohibitive to do that. And, and maybe some places where there are people pick to manufacture stuff, there, there's not enough quality control. You know, I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't know what, the, I don't know what the secret is, but I would think it probably might be something connected to that. Well, it, I mean, it even comes into, you know, uh, for, um, cause Mala is the biggest manufacturer of, of, of gosh, you name it these days. Really? Um, you know, and it comes to pistons and bearings and things like that. They, they make a, a, a huge chunk of the market. Um, you know, which also kind of leads them to kind of leaving out some of the market. Um, right. If there's you know, not like, enough market share or not enough margin, they're just not going to do it. And who else? Exactly. Will? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and when it comes to developing new products for an engine that was designed in, you know, 1930, right. you know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them. So whereas for somebody like us, it doesn't matter all that much. I mean, literally, you know, for me, I just went into my boss and said, this is what I'm doing. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, but you know, I, what's interesting is the VW market is like the sleeping giant. It's this massive, massive market mm-hmm. that is underappreciated by manufacturers because they don't see, they don't realize the, the worldwide reach that that market has. And then, the, so let's say for you guys as a piston manufacturer, then your big hurdle is to get your marketing out there to get people to know who you are that you manufacture stuff mm-hmm. because let people know that they have an option. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even, even if you've been around for a hundred years, you're still trying to make sure that people even know who you are. Right. You know, uh, we get that all the time where it's, you know, the, they'll, well, I, I want a KB piston. Well, you guys bought KB Piston? No, we've always manufactured KB. It's just you you weren't aware of the name of United Engine. Right. <laughs> you know? So now, did, but, now uh, with a company like KB Piston, did was that now KB is Keith Black? Is that what correct? The K, yeah. So Keith Black was. So what's a little bit of history on that? Like like where does that uh, all come from? Because a lot of VW guys may not know Keith Black was like a big drag racer back in the day, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we're, we're not affiliated with uh, Keith Black racing blocks or anything like that Mm -hmm. uh, right now. Um, But back when we decided we were going to come out with a performance hyper eutectic line, uh, we reached out to to Keith Black and, you know, it licensed basically being able to use his name, you know, to market these, these pistons. And, and now we just mostly refer to them as, as KB. Um, Now, you know, they, they have that separation, but yeah. Now, what's a you you said that a couple of times now. So, what's a hyper eutectic? School okay. us on pistons to begin with. Let's talk about okay. like what a VW piston is from the factory, and then the different levels of performance pistons, maybe. Okay, um, it all comes down to alloy. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the day, your your average you know cast piston was probably pretty close to a three thirty two alloy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of numbers, so I apologize. But uh, you know, three thirty two just stands for for this classification of, of alloy. Um, and it and if you looked it up online, you'd be able to see the different content, whether it has copper or nickel or, or whatnot in that. 
332 tends to have about 8.8 to 10.5 percent silicon content mm-hmm. um and when it, when I, I say silicon content that's pretty much what gives get well adding silicon that gives more strength uh to the alloy um it's makes it, it, it less becomes soft. harder yeah yeah so you know so when you're when you're talking like you know, when you're talking, would you say the number was 30, 30, 332, sorry. Three, so 332 and then like T60, T61, those are all different grades of the chemical so, composition of the alloy. Right. So like T6, that's going to be a heat treat, treating cycle. Okay. Um, so it's going to be, you know, heated to this degree for a certain length of time and then quenched or, or whatnot. So, um, okay. you know, so yeah, everything starts off with a basic, you know, alloy mm-hmm. um and then you know like with the keith blacks they they get a heat treatment process afterwards you know so they're heat treated to t6 and then you know so that gives them their hardness and and um they're uh, what am i trying to just spit and does out that Sorry, make I, I, them a hyper you would you call it hyper eutectic so the what makes them hyper eutectic is the, the amount of silicon content so Pistons and or alloys in general have a point where they be, can become saturated, um, or you know how how much how much you know of one element will naturally soak into this other element. So, eutectic means everything is its max point. You can right. only get so much silicon into aluminum, which is right around like fifteen percent. So it's basically so, saying this is the hardest aluminum that you can get. Exactly. Yeah. So our hardest naturally flowing aluminum you can get with this amount of silicon. Right. What a, what a hyper eutectic is means it has an abundance of silicon. So on top of that, it has more. Okay. And what, what happens with that is you end up with uh, crystalline structures in the material. And uh, are you familiar with like the old Chevy Vega engines? Yep. Okay, uh, those blocks were hyper eutectic aluminum, and the whole theory behind that was now, on the, when they bored on the Cosworth Vegas. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we want to talk, we Vegas. want to go down a Vega rabbit hole. I mean, there's because they, they made a Cos, Cos, they had a Cosworth Vega, like yes. a special edition Vega, but on the typical, uh, it was a four cylinder block, right? The original, the original right. one. Right. Yeah, and and they didn't have sleeves uh, for for their cylinder bores. What they what they did there was was cast these block out, blocks out of a hyper-eutectic alloy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens when you machine these bores is it exposes the silicon, um, the, the silicon crystals in the bore. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is is the piston and the rings and everything end up riding on this silicon instead of riding on the aluminum. And so and, and history shows us that <laughs> the Vega was not a very good engine, right? You know, it, it didn't didn't they would have you know, oil blow by problems and things like that is because they couldn't control the flow of the silicon well enough into casting the blocks. Right. You know, so, so you'd have these engine failures and everything like that. And they became, you know, duds basically. And it was probably, I mean, and it was probably because it was just too large of a piece that you couldn't, it it couldn't, the structure of the aluminum couldn't flow all together because it's exactly. too thick in some spots, too thin in others, and it's right. not like curing at the same rate. Exactly, yeah. So you would end up with cracks and things like that in places that nobody would have ever thought to inspect, 
but it ended up in, ending in a catastrophic failure. Right. So, you making, know, so it making the parts too brittle and things like that, which is where exactly a lot of, because we, you know, oddly enough, it, it happens to us in the, in the stone and tile industry, right? They, in the recent right. years, they've come out with porcelain countertops and what the original porcelain countertops were, they were cooled so fast as I'm, as we're fabricating them, they crack because they're so brittle. And now they've started right. a, a slow cooling process to make them not as brittle. So I'm assuming that the, in a manufacturing composition, it would be the same with like any of the alloys and the, 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 exactly the piston manufacturing stuff. Cause you can get something super hard, but then it's really fragile. You right. Know? Yeah. So, so in other words, you know, and we and circling back to, to hyper eutectic, like our hyper eutectic pistons are made out of a 390 mm-hmm. hyper alloy. And that has a 16 to 17% uh, silicon content to the alloy and that's what gives hyper eutectics their strength and their longevity um up to a certain point <laughs> you know so you know you, you start detonating real hard uh and because it's such a hard and, and brittle material even though it's super strong mm-hmm. it, it turns into piston crumbles when it when it detonates super hard um yeah. you know so you know that that the, you have you have some limits to how awesome a hyper eutectic piston is, you know. And then you start moving into a forged piston, and the two primary alloys on that is forty thirty two, which has a twelve percent silicon content. Yeah. And twenty six eighteen, which has a point one eight silicon content. So there's hardly any silicon in twenty six eighteen. No. So. So when you talk about forged, so you have cast and forged, right? Correct. So what what is the layman's difference understanding for the average listener that's not a gearhead that would know the difference between cast and forged? Okay. So cast is 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 pretty simple. You you have a die of the rough piston shape and you pour liquid metal into it. Mm-hmm. And once it cools, you pull the die apart and you got yourself a, a rough piston. With a forging, what you do is we, we order, you know, these like gigantic rods, you know, four, five, six inches diameter, and we cut pucks out of these rods. Mm-hmm. These pucks then have to be heated to a certain temperature, so that way they become uh, almost, a, almost a liquid state. And then you stick it in the forging press, and this forging press exerts thousands of pounds of pressure to force the alloy into the shape that we desire. And that that pressure and forcing it into those areas gives the forging its strength, you know, not, mm-hmm. so it, it's, you, it, it's too, depending on the material, it can be twofold, whether it's just literally squeezing it that into that shape and the material being used, um, Forgive me, I'm I'm kind of stumbling over my words. No, 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 it's okay because because I'm because what well, you always hear the difference is like, well, you can't turbo that motor because the pistons aren't forged. You know what I mean? Right. And so right. the difference between like the treatments of the metal, obviously taking something and making it pure liquid, makes it softer to some degree and it's easier to manufacture. But then taking billets and then actually heating them up to the point of to the point of being malleable and then throwing them mm-hmm. in a, in a cast and, and, or in a, in a forge and, and pressing them because, right. because it never hit the liquid state. Is that why it makes it, is that why it's more dense? 
Yeah, it's more dense and it aligns the molecules in the metal. Okay, so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. Obviously, if it's liquid, you get a little more fluidity to it and, and it's not, maybe the content's not as pure when it cools. Right, right. Yeah, so it's, that's why, you know, so when it comes to forgings, everybody looks to forgings for superior strength. Mm-hmm. Well, and that also depends on what alloy you're choosing and what your application is. Because you, know, you can you forge crap alloy and still have a crappy forge piston. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and, and some people have, have an opinion of 4032 mm-hmm. and some people have an opinion of 2618. Mm-hmm. I, it, me personally, I love 4032. I think it's a great alloy for a straight driven performance application. I think 2618 deserves to stay on the track. <laughs> so, now, you know, wh- now, it, now, why do you say that? Uh, 2618, um, it's a it's an all-out performance alloy. Um, it was originally developed for the Rolls-Royce Merlin engines. The, those um, are the because, aircraft? Is that what it was? Yeah, the aircraft engines, yeah, that were in the Spitfires and things like that. Um, and it was because they needed a piston that would hold up to all this power this engine was making, right? You know, they're using fuels that sometimes didn't have really great quality and didn't have a very high octane rating or whatnot, so it detonated all the way to Germany, <laughs> all the way back. Right. So they need to make you know, a bulletproof piston. Right. You know, so so that's what 2618 was developed for originally. And when, and when a 2618 piston gets damaged, what you'll notice is that it's, it either melts away. If it say it's, you know, you know, you're running too lean or whatnot, it'll, it'll start melting. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it, if it starts detonating real hard, it really, it wants to turn itself into a ball almost. Oh, really? you know, so it's, it's, it's super soft, you know, and where I get asked that question all the time where, well, what, why would you choose a 4032 or this 2618 and going, well, how much do you really plan on driving the car? You know, like, are you going to drive this every opportunity you get every Friday to work or, or, you know, whatever. Um, and well, I'm, I'm think, the kind of, per- yeah, I think that's, that's really a, a, a question that, that when you think about stuff to be going through a heat cycle on a day to day basis, you know, I think that when you're building something to be bulletproof and you want it to last for a, for a long time for heavy duty output, but if you, if it's complete overkill and unnecessary expense, you know what I mean? Why, right. why go through that? But I mean, right. there, cause there's a lot of that because I, I've got some questions in respect to like aluminum, aluminum, uh, pistons and cast iron barrels and some stuff like that, that we're going to, we're going to keep going down this oh, yeah. rabbit yeah. hole. So, okay. um, so <laughs> You were saying now, so you, so people, people tell you that, that to use the other alloy, like, well, you should use that because it's the world believes that it's better because of this reason, but they don't really understand the metallurgy behind it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, one, one of the benefits behind 4032 is, you know, you don't have to run as much clearance piston the wall on it. You know, I get away with the pistons in my, my engine right now at two and a half thousandths piston the wall. And you know, what, so would be on the, at, what would be on the other pistons? On on say a 2618, mm-hmm. you're talking four, five, six thousandths piston wall. So, so you need depending more, on you need more clearance on the other piston. Exactly, because that 2618, uh, because of its lack of silicon, it wants to grow. You know, oh, so it's, it's going to have it's going to have a greater change when it gets hot. Right. Yeah. Thermally, it's going to soak up that heat and it's going to grow. 
So, so you've got to put uh, more, more, more clearance between that and the cylinder wall, which means your rings are going to be holding back more compression and trying to keep the exactly. motor sealed up, which then is going to give right. you a higher probability for either ring failure or greater blow by with the other, with the other piston. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, that piston is going to be rocking more. It's, 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 you're just setting yourself up for more wear down the road. And is know? it more, it's, is that piston more expensive? Typically, yeah, yeah, and then and so your, your average, like ahead, every con, every consumer thinks, like if it's more expensive, it's better. Yeah, and that's not always <laughs> the case. And they're like, <laughs> you guys just use cheap aluminum, like, and that's not. Right. And and the reality is, you try to because when it's funny when you look at Volkswagens, and we're taking this back to the the original, right? Nothing runs better than a stock VW motor, more right. bulletproof, runs through everything, starts up every uh-huh. time, like all that stuff. And it's so basic. And and oh, what, yeah. what we've done in our aftermarket hobby is try to get four, five, ten times the horsepower out of a stock right. engine, yeah. something yeah. that wasn't designed. <laughs> and these motors had, because of the uh, the engineering and the understanding of, of the properties of how things worked, it's like there was a limited RPM, but they could be assembled with the quality of materials that they were picked because everything had a design purpose to it. You know, and so exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're doing street a street cylinder. Um, street cylinder and piston, you're wanting something that's going to seal better, not give you a blow by and be, you know, a little, maybe even a little more affordable. And at the end of the day, a better quality material for long-term street driving. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I always get asked, you know, what can I expect before I have to tear it down, you know, kind of mileage wise. And, you know, 2618 is, you know, I say that's a 25 to 30,000 mile piston, <laughs> you know? And, then, and, and the if, and the thing is like, why it's more expensive, isn't it better? Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's great if you're gonna you know drive the living crap out of that thing down a drag strip every weekend and right. you know whatnot. But for the average guy who's just going to work and you know likes to point and squirt, you know, yeah, <laughs> at, yeah. in the straights and you know, like up here, I I live in a mountainous area. I go up to Tahoe all the time, and I am on it all the way up you yeah. know the mountain you know passes and everything and i don't have to worry about it you know and so so we have um, the stock the stock type casting which is just a a, a a typical cast piston you the next step up is like a forged is a forged piston now do people make billet machined pistons yes yeah uh, other companies are those just outrageously expensive because of yeah yeah, you end up paying through the nose. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and really, and, and everybody has opinions, right? You know, and right. personally, I want something that's been squeezed and is going to align the grain structure and give me a better chance than just a plain billet. We've, well, we've kind of, kind of uh, come across this thing where everybody believes, well, it's, it's billet. It must be better. That's not well, always the case. It, it's funny you say that because – I remember reading Gene Berg's book and he had a crankshaft that he had cut down the middle and he said, this is an aftermarket crankshaft and this is the ones that I have made. And he says, look at the grain, you know, he's talking about that. Look at the grain structure of the metal in the, in in the, in the crankshafts that they were making and how, because they had a Swiss company that was manufacturing the crankshafts. And he did that because again, you're back to understanding the metallurgy. And I just Mm -hmm. talked to a buddy of mine who's got uh Matter of fact, um, my buddy uh, uh, Johnny Osmondson has got that drag bug, and he's uh, 
you know, just bent that bent that billet crankshaft you had, and it's just, and, and it's crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, and it, I think it's, yeah. I think you said it was like a six thousand dollar crankshaft or something. Oh, that hurts. Something <laughs> I can't remember. If it's six thousand or three thousand or I don't know what it was, but it, but it takes like a uh-huh. year to get it and all this stuff. And so, I mean, billet billet has its place, but I yeah. think. You know, everybody thinks billet, it's higher quality because the purity of, of the aluminum, sometimes it'll work against you. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, that you're right on par. <laughs> so now, so we're talking about with the, with the different pistons. And then now, what did you see when you saw an opportunity for you guys to go into the VW market? What did you see out there that you thought, you know what, it's like me with the podcast, right? The VW hobby deserves something better than this. Let me start a podcast. Right. right? And so right. what, what did, what was it you were seeing out there where you were just like, you know what, we really, there's an opportunity here in the market. Right. Well, I mean, basically what I saw was, you know, you had one of two things you had, a cast piston, whether it was hyper eutectic or a regular cast alloy from AA, or you had this super expensive forging from JE or, or Mala or whatnot. And, and they both have their places, but there's nothing in the middle. Right. And, and while, you know, I'm all for making all kinds of power. I also, I'm on the, my budget personally doesn't allow me to, <laughs> you know, just go all out, yeah. you know, and I need to spend my money wisely on on things that I you know I, I I know is going to last. And I'm like, you know what? I would like to really offer a piston, while it may be a little bit more you know maybe more expensive on on average you know than a cast set with pistons and barrels and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's going to last a hell of a lot longer than that really expensive set of JEs or you know Wiscos or or whatnot. And uh, you know, and then on top of that, I wanted to make sure that it, would, it offered features that nobody else is offering. You know, like now, well, an anodized. Okay. So what? Yeah, so because so, you're talking to a guy who's who's like a consumer, and, and and I put about as much thought of it as most guys are like looking to build more. Like, oh yeah, so you just go from step one to step five, and there's no steps right. in the middle. What what would be? Because the only thing that I know of pistons is like you have forge pistons and then you'll have them valve notched and then that's about it right, right? and then like right. what do you see as a, as a piston guy like what types of things options do you see that are missing in that middle range in that middle range you got a lot of guys that are experimenting with turbos you know yes. um and they're blowing up you know hyper eutectics like crazy you know um or, or cracking them in half and and that's these pistons, while while they run perfectly, you know, in a normally aspirated a- application, mm-hmm. I also wanted to give more more protection, you know, for that guy that that wants to experiment with his turbo and not have to worry about breaking a piston, you know. So we got really really thick top lands, you know, where I think we're two hundred and thirty thousandths on our top land, and you know. And, so the and top that whole, land is that the space between the top ring and the top of the crown? Correct. Yeah. So it's that you know, top so, gap that you see the t- the chunk of metal between the the face that or I, I guess you'd call it the face of the piston and then the first mm-hmm. ring. So, right. Typically, yeah, so, on another piston, what's the thickness of that? Typically, you know, in a, your average performance pistons around two hundred. You know, um, and you guys are how, how much? We're around two thirty. Okay, so ten percent more th- thicker on that top crown of the piston. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you in on, especially on a turbo application, 
you know, and I know people will, some people will disagree with me on that. I, I want that, that ring a little bit further down. I don't want to get it exposed to that heat as, as badly sure. as you would with a ring that's higher up. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so then when you, you have that, that thicker top land and then we anodize the entire crown of the piston as well as the first ring groove. Now, what is, uh, I know, I know like most listeners, anodizing is like, it comes in pretty red or blue. What is the yeah. process of anodizing it and how does it, what is it, why does it make a difference on a piston? So, so, you know, when it comes to anodizing, it comes in gray blah on this. Yeah. Um, but uh, when it comes to anodizing, what that does is gives you protection against kind of caustic fuels, you know, certain, certain fuels like alcohol, like methanol and stuff like that um, tend to kind of eat at certain materials, mm-hmm. you know, so that gives you that protection there. But really what's more important is that it gives you a nice hard surface for that ring to ride on. Um, I think a good chunk of us have all seen something when, when like a bearing spins on yeah. a crankshaft, you trade material, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what we're trying to do there is eliminate that possibility happening with the top ring, with that ring getting so hot that now it's trading material with the actual piston. Right. And, and that'll cause that ring to stop spinning, you know, and, and stop doing its job. So when you anodize that surface, it gives it almost like a diamond like finish for that ring to ride on now as anodizing is it like a is it like a spray applied is it liquid applied is it baked on like how, how do they do the anodizing it's it's like a dip process uh, okay. it, you know I, I would love to show it to you uh you know but uh yeah you, you we basically have to suspend it in a tank and it has to stay there for a few hours for it to because you know, we do a a, a type three military grade style anodize. So it not only builds on the surface, but it penetrates the surface up to, I believe it's, it's like a two tenths or something like that. So it, it's penetrating into the aluminum not has as well as building. Up. So it's almost like, I mean, to, to, to layman's term, it's almost like a Teflon finish on a, on a, on cookware, right? Like it's, it's a, it's like an abrasion layer that'll keep right. things from sticking to it. That's a really good analogy. All right. Well, that's that's. I see. I'm here to bridge the gap between people like me and people like you, so that we can <laughs> kind of understand it. Because the more I'm thinking about it, like it makes sense, right? So now people know to ask that question, like, well, do you guys anodize these? Because you know, I, I, one of the motors that I bought, um, that I did one of my Raby motors, he does all kinds of coatings, right? Like a ceramic coating and a and some black paint stuff or cooling and some all, all different kind of stuff. And so the, there's a, a whole world of technology to talk about with like internal engine coatings and things like that. But Oh yeah. The anodi- I, anodizing on a street available piston is a pretty good, is, is a pretty good deal because it's an, right. it's an extra expense that goes in the manufacturing, the piston that you can get. That's a high performance. I, I would assume right. it's a high performance coating. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, it's it's done a lot now on on stuff you know that is coming directly from the factory these days. Hmm. You know, so you know your average, uh, what, am I, what what could I say, your five O Coyote mm-hmm. and the Ford Raptor has a hyper eutectic you know piston with a anodized top ring groove in, in it because people are going to be pushing it. They want to make sure that that has that. You know, right. your average toy. I, I think Toyota basically anodizes everything they do now really on that top green or top ring groove. So it, it's, it's really caught on with the OEMs for sure. Um, 
when it used to be kind of a specialized, you know, thing just to protect against fuels and protect against certain wear. Right. Top fuel and NASCAR only did this. And now it's exactly. made its way into manufacturing because they, they see the longevity, they, you know, what adds longevity to their performance, you know? Right. Yeah. It definitely gives that abrasion resistance, especially on a top fuel car. It's, you know, it, it, and that's, you know, anodizing really has some awesome ben- benefits. So um, you have the, but, ana- you have the anodizing and you have the, the thicker top ring. Um, right. What other, any other features on this, on this piston? So, you know, it, I, I also decided I wanted to go with a full round design. And what I mean by full round is, it has got a, a strut below the pin bore um, that kind of keeps that piston circular all the way around. You know, not not like your, you know, a stock VW piston where it's, you know, completely round. It's It just basically looks like a, you know, a, a slug. Right. Um, you know, it, but it's it's got side mills in, in the side of it, you know, to reduce the material that's that needs to be there. Keep that piston light, you know. Um, on average, you know, say like our 94 millimeter bees are about 403 grams, which is a little bit heavier than some. Um, but honestly, it, 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 you don't need to be super light. What I, what you should be more worried about is strength, something that's going to last a long time. Right. You know, um, slipper skirts are great if you're trying to save, save weight. But what, really, now, on what's average, a slipper skirt? Is that where a, a piston's cut all the way up on the side? Right. Yeah. So there's no support on the side at all. Um, it's just you know, a ring, see, it's just a ring. The ring part is that called the crown of the piston? The or all the rings? Yeah. Go? Yeah. The we're all that we call that the ring belt. Uh, you know, uh, the crown is typically the top of the piston. Correct. So that's just a um, ring belt, and then from there right. down, it's cut away to save weight and make that motor exactly. Stand. Yeah, you just end up with this. You know two and a half inch patch on each side of the piston, which is your skirt. So, um, you know, which, you know, they, they serve their purpose. A lot of guys like circle track and whatnot, they like a slipper skirt piston and they're also getting into that after a couple of races and and replacing them because they're, they're just so hard on them and winging them so hard that those skirts end up collapsing a little bit. Yeah. So, but, uh, so yeah, so we went with a full round design and, um, you know, we're, I, I have been talking with a few folks. We might look at offering eyebrow bulges in the bottom of the piston. So that way, if, if you need to cut the top, top of the piston for valve pockets, you could, but, uh, you know, as of right now, your average guy who's building a performance motor doesn't mm-hmm. need to cut eyebrows on the piston. So, but, um, and now, so, sorry. so with, the pistons that are out there, because that's the other thing with Volkswagens, right? Like with the with the LS motor, how many how many different piston combinations do the LS motors have? Oh gosh, name it. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I mean, typically the most commonly used in, in a V eight application, you have three four sizes of pistons, or I mean, is it like a Volkswagen where you have an eighty five five, an eighty eight, a ninety point five, a ninety two, a ninety four, a ninety six. It is kind of like that, yeah. Because you know, yeah, on an LS engine, you in the smallest form, and, and some people will argue with me on this. I, a truck or Vortec LS engine, in my opinion, the five three. It's it, yeah, the five three or the four eight. Mm-hmm. It's still an LS. It's it's LS architecture, but it's you know, they start out and they've got a, it's like a, a 3.780 bore 
on those things. So mm-hmm. it's it's a small bore like your old 305 small block Chevy was. And right. then and then the six O's and the LS, you know, is the six liter truck engines. They're an actual four inch bore. Right. And then LS one, it's slightly bigger than you know the the five threes. And then LS three is a six point two liter with a four inch O sixty five bore is starting. You know, so there are a lot of flavors. And then you get all the way up to LSX and LS seven, and those are they start off at four inch one twenty five. So know, and then so all the, the strokes. So I so I guess. It's going to be based on because I keep thinking like, well, why, why, why don't, why do, why don't manufacturers do this? Is it because there's so much variety in the VW world between like, you know, different pistons? But apparently not. But maybe, the, maybe the big blind spot is no one sees how large of a market it is, and it's difficult to right. maybe gather that data. I don't know because well, I, I mean, there's forty I, I million it, of them. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of it comes down to ignorance of of what it takes to build Volkswagen engines. You yeah. know, it's you know, with us, it's it's a matter of rod length, piston pin height, and you know what stroke we're using, and we figure it all out. It doesn't. It's not like a V8 where, hey, we know this is what the deck is. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, we we got we got all kinds of different tolerances. Whether our case needed to be decked, and then the barrel, if the barrel needed to be trimmed, or and then the cylinder head, if it had to be fly cut and, and, and stuff like that, it, it, it changes everything, you know? Right, right. you know, but it really, in the end is very simple. We only have a few compression heights and that's it. And everything else is taken up by rods and spacers and stuff like that. Now with how many pistons are you guys manufacturing now for Volkswagen and what sizes do you guys carry? Okay. So, so right now we just do four, um, but there are more on the way. So right now we do the 92 millimeter bore A's and B's, you know, everybody is is familiar with that terminology. Right. And A and B Um, is the different, for those that don't, the A and B, A would be a standard wrist pin height as far as where that wrist pin location is to the top of the piston. And then on a stroker, you move the wrist pin into the back of the piston. Yeah, you move the pin up higher, you know, so, you know, your average 94 millimeter B is a 34 millimeter pin height. I might have this backwards. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's a 34 millimeter pin height where I think 92s are a 35, you know, it's right off the top of my head. I, I apologize. I don't. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And no one's <laughs> yeah, expecting was... it because we're just talking about the, the opportunity that's here for the VW world. And right. so, so you make the A and B piston and I, and I just stop every now and again, some people who know it all send me messages like, Bill, stop interrupting the guy. But what I want to do is the average no, guys listen. Yeah. I want to make sure that they understand. So Absolutely. that way everybody, everybody kind of gets it. And some people are like, mm-hmm. duh, Bill, everybody should know, but some people don't. Right. And maybe some questions are for me because maybe I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so you've got your A and B piston. So with every piston, you're going to see, that's what it seems to get really complicated. And do they do the same thing for VH? They have an A and B wrist pin height too. Um, the, they usually will have a several different compression heights in okay. general. So, you know, it's so, not an uncommon thing to have multiple wrist pin heights on the same size piston. Right. Right. So, yeah, they have the, so you've got, so you make the 92s. We have the 92s mm-hmm. A's and B's and we have 94s A's and B's right now. Um, okay. I'm currently working on the 94 C's, which are even shorter compression height yet. So people can run really long rods 
with, you know, an 82 and 84 millimeter stroke crank, um, or even going as high as the 86 millimeter and, you know, and having a moderate rod length there. Now by moving Um, uh, now, and I'm, and I'm trying to, I'm asked this question for my own knowledge by moving that wrist pin height up, you're allowing, I mean, because it would seem like you move the height up, but you're moving the piston down, which would almost seem, it would seem as if you're shortening the stroke. I mean, not really, because it's still going to travel that same amount, right? But it's more inside the barrel now and less, because you're right. trying to keep it from popping out of the cylinder. Yeah, right. And then what ends up happening is you know, typically when we move that pin up, mm-hmm. the skirt is getting shorter too. Got you it. know, so the overall height of the piston has to necessarily get shorter because you know when you get to the bottom of that stroke, now you're sticking out the bottom of the cylinder like crazy, like you're saying. So, like on a C piston that you're trying to do the 94 C, it's going to have almost no skirt on it. Right. It's it's going to have probably like a maybe a one inch two hundred thousand skirt on it. It's more so. more like it looks more like a slug type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more like a hockey puck. Yeah. You know? so, no, so so um, what you're doing is you're 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 maximizing the amount of stroke you're getting out of that piston by moving it up correct and keeping and keeping the same essentially the same deck height which is which is the distance from the top of the cylinder bore to the top of the piston that's your deck height correct you're right okay so, well, just just helping for people that are listening and making sure I know what I'm talking about when, right. <laughs> when I say those things. So, because obviously, um, so you're you're going to go with a C piston, and then these pistons that you're that you, that you guys are manufacturing, who sells them, and and how are they available okay. for who? And then so, right. my question next is going to be getting into cylinders, but we're going to talk about let's talk right. about where okay. they would buy these pistons. Uh, so right now, um, I know I have three sources. Uh, that sell these pistons. One is CB Performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second would be Dan Ruddock on the Samba. Yep. And then there's Type E Motorsports. Okay. You know, all of these guys have stock on the shelves right now. Perfect. And so, and the and now you're selling just the pistons. Right, just the pistons and rings right now. And now, w- let's talk a little bit about before we get into cylinders. Talk a little bit about ring technology. Everybody knows there's cylinder, there's uh, piston rings, and then there's total seal rings. Now let's <laughs> let yeah, I, and I, I'm just telling you off the cuff, the average dude who might pretend like he knows he's talking about like me might know that. And a total seal ring would obviously be a ring without a gap or a staggered gap, where it would seem like there's essentially or effectively no no gap, right? So what like what is what is the value of a good ring for a piston okay so total seal in general um they they make all types of rings you know so it it, it's not just the gapless type Mm -hmm. they'll make a conventional ring what what total seal does really well is they offer the different materials for the different applications you know so what used to be the thing you know for especially for a turbo application was a chrome faced ring you know Back in the day, that was it. That was the ring that was going to last in that sort of situation. Mm-hmm. You know, today you have stainless. Really? Um, you know, and then you have tool steel and things like that you know, that are going to put up with like nitrous and high boost levels and, and things like that. Um, 
And, you know, my, my buddy Kevin Studaker over there at Total Seal, he'll, you know, if he hears this, he'll probably be like, dude, you got this all wrong. <laughs> 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 but, um, I mean, with, with ring technology, there's a lot of differences. So the rings that you guys supply with your pistons, how do they differ right. from a stock ring? So they're pretty much on par with a stock ring. You know, they're a... You know, now, when a, you say you can, stock ring, you mean a factory German stock ring? Or? Correct, like a German, you know, a stock style ring. Um, I changed up the thicknesses uh, for a more more commonality. Uh, you're, it's more, it, it's a more common ring pack. It's a 1.5, 1.5, four millimeter ring pack, mm-hmm. which is found more commonly in like Toyotas and things like that. Um, and it's, it's easy to find and it's easy to get my hands on, you know, and it's a good quality ring. And what, we actually, what was, what, and what are the other ones, let's say the competitor on the market, what's their ring thickness? On average, people are going with like a one, five, two millimeter four. Um, so three different, you know, three different ring sizes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and then you have like JE where they may even, they may go one, five, one, five, three, or, or one, two, one, two, two, five, you know, it, it all depends uh, on, on what they think is the best ring for that, their application. And right. personally for longevity, I think a 1.5, 1.54 millimeter is going to do the best in terms of sealing and oil control uh, on a piston like that. Um, which is why I chose, (laughs) why I went with that ring pack on that. Well, and it may, and I mean, it makes sense to have, especially like, oh, I broke a, I I broke a second ring. Like if you've got the top and bottom ring are the same size and and they're off the shelf Toyota and you could cross reference them, they're a little easier to get for longevity or repurpose, you know what I mean? Like trying to find something I I would assume, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I, what, what I will interject there mm -hmm. is, is a top ring and a second ring are different completely they're, they're completely different rings you see so right they're, know, they're going to be different materials and, and and everything so they're gonna have a different like, bevel cut on them too exactly yeah so that second ring is going to look more square faced typically if it's a napier it might have a triangle face with that undercut on the bottom so that way it's scraping the oil away from the barrel got it um because each but, ring each ring really has a purpose the top one is to keep the compression in the combustion chamber right. the second really, ring, yeah is to clean the oil off the cylinders, and the third ring is an actually an oil ring, right? Absolutely. And that's to put oil on the cylinder to cool it. I mean, I don't know. Is it to cool it, to lubricate the right. up-and-down motion? Well, yeah, you know, so so every time the crank rotates, you got pressure going through it and being thrown up at the piston by the rod, you know, throw and everything, right? So you end up with, an, especially on a boxer motor, you end up with a, an abundance of oil sitting in the barrel. And, and that's why like a four millimeter oil ring, it, in my opinion, is, is pretty necessary yeah. on something like this. You, you have a lot of oil, you know, resting in those barrels and some people are going to nitpick and say, oh, really, how long is it sitting there? It's, it's still significant enough that you want to make sure that it gets the majority of what is unnecessary gets back into the crankcase. Right. You know, so with a larger oil ring like that, you you end up with bigger capacity and stuff like that to be able to help direct that oil where it should be. And the second ring's job is to push it down off the cylinder, is to clean the exactly, cylinder. Exactly, yeah, and direct it back down towards the, the oil control ring. And now that oil pressure is coming up through the connecting rod out of the wrist pin, or is it does it go up through the rod, or is it just slung on by centrifugal force of the crankshaft? 
yeah, it's just slung on by centrifugal force from the crankshaft on a V-dub. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a shop, uh, like a tech article that Volkswagen uh, released for, I believe it was for the Type 4, but it it still applies to the Type 1 where you notch the rod and it actually helps you know, spritz a little bit more oil up towards the piston, and it, it that's a it's a valuable mo- a valuable modification. I I would do it to all my rods. Well, and I've heard that there are people that manufacture like they'll do a mod in the motor that that squirts the back of the piston yeah. with with yeah the Porsche oil. squirters. Yeah, and those are go where? Yeah. And those are on the crankshaft or on the engine case? They're in the engine case. Yeah, you have to actually drill the the main bearing saddles in order to make that work. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, there's. It's funny because you know, probably eighty percent of the engine builders are just assemblers, right? And then there's the twenty percent that actually. And that's what I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. I said the difference is like it's a parts changer, and a guy knows what he's doing. Like a guy who can diagnose a problem and really understands the entire process, because that's where an engine builder has his value is that they know all of the inside the inside minor things that add to the longevity of the engine and the, and the reliability and durability when you're taking an engine. Cause what we, everybody forgets in this industry is we take an engine that was designed to produce 45 to 50 horsepower maximum. <laughs> and we're expecting for us to have it be a long-term everyday driver with 125 horsepower all day and, you know, not skip a beat and be as reliable as engines that were designed 60, 70 years later, you know? So uh, I I think it's, you know, so we all have to kind of stay grounded on that aspect, but I think it's super cool that you with, you know, having your connection with this big company and being able to offer, you know, a midline piston. Now what's the, what's the name the piston sold under on these? Uh, These are considered icons. Okay. So these would be the icon pistons. Then you can get those from um, type E motorsports. Um, Ruddick, you said his name was? Yeah, Dan Ruddick. Dan Ruddick, because he's reached out to me once about coming on the podcast, and so maybe we yeah, have a, a yeah, reason. he he does the 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 beehive, uh, you know, valve springs and, and stuff like that for for cylinder heads, and those are that that's a he offers a really cool product, and you know, I, I wanted to do that to my last build, I just didn't have the money <laughs> you know, to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, but it's it definitely sounds like a reason for me to get him on the podcast and, and kind of go down yes. that rabbit hole because there's. There's so much to to know and learn about, this, especially from a hobbyist standpoint of doing, right. you know, what, like trying to, especially if you're on a budget and you're wanting to rebuild your own stuff. Now, how do we, how does somebody deal with just buying the pistons? Like, what do you do for barrels now? So right now, um, I usually point people towards, you know, if you want, get yourself some, some good mala barrels or, or AA barrels. Can you buy um, barrels am, just separately barrels? Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially on, on AA's website, you can, you know, I think a, a set go for about a buck 80, uh, right now. So, you know, you would, it, it, they're really cheap, you know, at this point, but I want to, I, I don't mean necessarily in quality. You, know, you just mean very affordable. But, They're really affordable yeah, exactly. to, be, to be able to, if yeah. you're spending the 180 bucks, a set of pistons and cylinders, what, 500 bucks? And right, yeah. On, on yeah, average, like off the shelf, Molle. And so now a guy wants to buy a set of icons and some barrels. What's that combo right. going to cost him? About 700 yeah, bucks? 
well, yeah. So I know CB has theirs listed for around five hundred bucks for ninety fours. Is that just the um, just the pistons? That's yeah. That's pistons, wrist pins, rings, and and locks. Okay. Um, you know, so you know you could order from them. You know, and then order the barrels, and you're out about seven hundred bucks. So for is, about. 30, 40% more, you're getting high performance stuff that matches the application. Right. Yeah. So whereas, you know, like, you know, if you went with a full set from Mala and a 2618, you're looking at about 900 bucks ish. So you're still so, below having to go jumping that gap from factory quality to right all out race performance. And some people just feel better buying the top line race stuff. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> but of course. the majority of the VW people are trying to get the most value for your money, which is the cool thing that you're doing that because, you know, talking to some friends of mine, the engine engine builders, you know, I was talking to Adam Wick and he's just like, yeah, the, the worst thing about Volkswagens building them is there's zero consistency in the parts. Zero. Right. He's got to go through three, four sets of um, bearings to get a set of bearings that are correct versus like, when you're in the LS market or the General Motors stuff, like you get stuff off the shelf, that's spot on every time. Exactly. Good quality yeah, you can, parts and pieces. And, you yeah, know. you can order main bearings and rod bearings and, you know, minus 1,000 sizes and you know, stuff like that. You know, and it makes it real easy. But we're, we unfortunately get neglected in those in those cases. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and so – they can get the barrels outside. I mean, you guys don't manufacture barrels, and it's not what you guys do. That's not your wheelhouse. Not, not currently. Um, I am. I have been talking to sources. Um, one person I would point people to is uh, European Motorworks out of Hawthorne, California. Mm-hmm. Um, he has he has developed some some really good high quality barrels um, that have a, a a higher Rockwell hardness than what you would get out of AA. Um, now, you know, so let's talk about a little bit about, um, so Porsche, when they were developing the air cooled engine, they mm-hmm. quickly started doing a Nicosil coating. Right. And Nicosil coating, if I, now if, if I'm my, mildly educated off the back of a cereal box, but that would be like close to like an, almost like a chrome plating, but a nickel plating on the piston. Is that correct? Is that a similar correct. process? It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a chemical catalyst uh, submersion type of application. You are absolutely correct. So it's really like, it's almost like chroming your piston, but not chrome, but you're nickel plating it, which is where they get the nicosil from. Um, right. But which I'm sure it's, it's probably a varying degree of some sort of chemical composition may not be exactly like nickel plating chrome, but I mean, right. And the purpose they did that was to help the piston the cylinder cool better and is it just the cylinder that they nicosil plated and the piston is just aluminum right yeah yeah it, and that in that application on the old air cooled 911s yeah it's it's just the cylinder that they nicosil plated um and that was mainly to help control expansion you know similar metals want to expand together and you know so when you run a forged you know piston that wants to expand at a high rate well, it makes a lot of sense to build a barrel out of out of a, the same material, right? So now, were their so they barrels ex- aluminum or cast iron? They were cast iron or aluminum. For I, the, I uh, believe early in production they were cast iron. 
Um, but then later they went to, went to aluminum. Cause I know in the off-road world, I remember, I remember one of the first type four motors that I had or the pile of type four parts that never, never turned itself into a motor. Um, there was like some one Oh five aluminum barrel. Uh, mm -hmm. it was like a steel sleeve with aluminum fins on the barrel, uh, is what I yeah, think it was, but I mean, yeah, they were called viral. Yeah. And so, yeah. What, so what's the difference on like viral versus cast iron versus whatever from like mm -hmm. a, a performance standpoint for a street car? Well, so iron, it just, and when it comes to iron, it's a, it's a nice strong material, right? So it's problem though, is that it doesn't shed heat very well and it doesn't grow very fast. You know, so you have to make sure that you build in enough clearance because that that barrel is not going or that bore is not going to move as much as the, the piston's going to, right? Right. So a biral cylinder, uh, which and, and I know I know Harley Davidson calls it calls it something else, but because even Harleys are similar in that way, they have a cast iron sleeve that the aluminum is actually cast onto. And you still, you still end up with two, you know, two dissimilar metals and it doesn't effectively transfer heat as well as say an all aluminum nickel plated, you know, uh, barrel wood, you know, it, it's, it, it, you're still going to have to build more clearance into it on a Harley than you would have to do on say a 911. Right. You know, so um, the benefits, though, is, you know, you you shed more heat on that viral cylinder than you would with just a plain old cast iron. And then with the aluminum, you shed heat like crazy. You know, it's in some cases, it's almost hard to keep that that engine up to temperature because you're shedding heat so effectively. But um, hmm. anyways, that's sorry. That's yeah, my no, 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 it's I mean, it's it, it's 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 good to know that because when you're making those, like I'm doing a budget rebuild on a two liter right now. And I just ordered, uh, I just got a set of cylinders from a one pistons and cylinders, the 96 millimeter slip in for the two liter to bump it up to 2054. And, okay. uh, Jeff that was just on here two weeks ago from type four revolution on the East coast. He's like, did you get the viral cylinders? And I was like, no, I'm doing a budget. Re I'm doing a budget <laughs> rebuild. Like, you know, some people might say I'm being cheap, but I, but when you have too many cars and, you know, someone explained it to me this way, they said, I don't have four cars. I've got 16 right. tires. I've got four engines. I've got so many quarts of oil. So many, you know what I mean? When you start right. looking at it that way, you're just like, yeah, I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of irons in the fire. And yeah. the thing with the, the type four thing that I'm doing is, is I just got the cast cylinders. Cause I'm not trying. My thought is, if I got a 10 to 20% increase in power, I'd be happy with the right. engine's performance. I'm not looking for a hundred percent increase in power. And I think, I think there's reasonable expectations that you can get. I just had a motor for a car that I bought on the East coast and it's an old, it's an MP GTV car that, that a guy, uh, Mike on the East coast is doing for me. And he bought his dream car and this came up kind of cheap. And then I bought it and it needed, it had a little 1600 in it and the guy, he sent it to a guy to redo it and they, they just dressed it up and redid it. And he, you know, had single port heads and you know, it, it, it's like 
this is a really, really peppy motor, you know? Right. And peppy, and sometimes we get, because, you know, my buses that I have, they've got type fours in them, you know, 20, 20, 2.2 liters or 2.3 liters and 2.6 liters. So it's like I get in those and it's got a real tall gear trans and it's performance built to fit the car. But if you get in a stock Volkswagen that's geared right and you've got a good right. run in 1600 with a 20% horsepower increase, that's a that's a that's a good peppy motor, you know. Oh yeah. And you know, I think I you know, as long as everything's matched in the car, it runs really well. You know, I mean, one of my favorite motors that I had that I that I actually built years and years ago with a, a, a drag racer, or local drag racer helped me build it. Um was a, it was a uh, 1904 which is just bumped up. It's a, it's a bumped up crank, bumped up cylinders yep. with a little bit bigger heads and a little bit of a cam, but it was just like, it was, it felt like a factory motor that was 25% more powerful and it was right good and peppy and more importantly than anything else reliable because that's what as VW people we're so used to stock engines that like, ah, oh, yeah, this motor's been together 60 years and still runs like a top, leaks a little bit of oil, but oh well, you know what I mean? And now right. a lot of guys rebuild stuff and it's like they either last a long time or they grenade within a couple of months, you know? So right. <laughs> you're trying to get that happy medium. And that's where I think your, your, your pistons come into play. It's like, it's yeah. that step up where you can get a little bit better than what's available on the market for a little bit more money but you're going right. to get the better performance out of it. And especially if you understand the difference that you're getting when you're buying something that's a little bit better without going full race, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I fully believe that people should be honest with themselves when it comes to their engine builds. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of people, they go overboard thinking I want this monster and, and, you know, I want to just go straight line, you know, light speeds you know, sort of well, thing. Yeah. Everybody wants the big fast motor until they're driving it around and traffic and it's lugging and, and they're not exactly. happy with it. And it's like, and it's like, I hate big motors, you know, cause then you, then you turn into that guy that big motors are never reliable. And it's, and which is why I've always been a huge fan of the type four, because it's mostly, it's just slightly bumped up from factory. Cause when you say 2.6 liter, it's not like right. going from 1600 to doubling the the displacement you know what i mean it's right. going from 2.2.0 uh, to 2.6 which is you know a 25 yeah. percent increase in you know yeah in, in displacement well, but it's but everything is built up to the point where it's still has that linear power band that performance that that feels right. solid like you know so right well i mean that, that's kind of why you know I, I built the engine that i built for my fastback yeah so it's what's a, in the fastback it, so it's a 2110 the weird way that's what i call it uh -oh. um so hold on a, a 2110 the normal way is 8292 correct yeah okay. so I, I decided to go 94 by 76 what yeah <laughs> who in the san francisco does that well so now the thing with 92s let's clear something up too right that what what's the yeah. big misnomer well i don't know if it's a misnomer is it a true fact or what's the deal with 92s what is the big complaint gene berg about, had about 92s uh I, when it came to gene berg I, I believe he was when it came to the thin wall 92s he, he, he yeah he griped about the the cylinder wall thickness and stuff like that um, 94s, I believe are only like 13% thinner than a standard 85, five barrel. 
Um, you know, so, so you're but 92s, then, you have thick wall 92s in your car? No, I because I have 94s in my, my, oh, I'm sorry. my block. So yeah, you got 94 yeah. by 70, 76, 76. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it's an odd setup, but you know, it, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, well, enough, that's gotta be a, I, it's gotta be a nice torque monster, right? It, it is. And I, I like to, I, I'm a big fan of short stroke, big bore. Cause I like to rev things out and you know, if, if you can keep the stroke down and, and again, everything is up for argument in, in the engine world, right? Everybody always, likes to always. argue. <laughs> well, I was but surprised I, I, when I did the podcast with Ron Loomis, when I found out what the stroke was on his notchback, he had a super, it was a short stroke, big mm-hmm. bore motor. That was, I mean, it, I, I was, I was, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what the stroke was, but it wasn't a huge stroke. You know what I mean? Right. And, but I think he just revved the crap out of it, you know? So, right. Well, and that's, yeah, I'm, I'm on the regular revving out to six, which may not be a lot to some. Well, but, is, you are know. you still pancake? Yeah. I'm still type three. All got, the way. Do you have a welded fan? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I cheaped out. So I'm waiting for that one to explode. You're, you're a bold <laughs> man. Well, I know Russell Gold Speed does the welded fans. They're about 400 bucks for a welded oh. fan. And, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, again, I've got a lot of cars. So I'm like, eh. So, you know, Russ, I said, I was at Russell's place. I said, what's that fan raise? Like 400 bucks. I was like, and I told my brother, I said, can I just weld it at your place? I said, nah, it's a, I think it's a MIG weld, not a TIG weld. So, or it's a, right, it's a yeah. TIG weld, not MIG welded, which is different and a lot of labor involved. But right. again, it's one of those things where, you know, that fan wasn't designed. Now, do you have a stock flywheel? Uh, yeah, I'm running stock weight flywheel on this one. So it may that, and that may be one of the reasons why some of those fans come apart is they rev faster than what the fan can handle. Right. Yeah. One, and I had a, I had a 1600 in it before that had a, a 110. Um, it was like eight, seven to one mm-hmm. with Weber 44s and with a lightweight flywheel in this, you know, type three. And yeah, I'd, I'd go through a clutch a little bit faster, but man, did that thing rev out and it was a hell of a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> you know, all the yeah. way to six. So, um, you know, slow, but it, it, it would, it would rev all the way out there. And some of and those, uh, some of those stock flywheels, I mean, the, with the stock flywheel on there for the, for the counterbalance, you, you mm-hmm. maintain more inertia. It's a little easier on the hills and grades right. and stuff like that. They say with the stock flywheel. And I know that, uh, I'm pretty sure that my, my type four motors have stock flywheels. I don't think they're light and flywheels, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, unless you are right racing around a circuit or whatnot, I, I honestly don't see the need for a lightweight flywheel, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that but. listen, it's been, it's been, it's been great, you know, learning and knowing about all this stuff because what's cool is that you're a VW guy, you're in the hobby, you know, and you work for one of the largest piston manufacturers. Well, you got you're one of the largest in the US. Who's bigger than you in guys the US, in the US? Yeah. Who's bigger yes. than you guys in the US? In the US, uh, you know, there's really not not many, you know, that do the same things that we do right. at all. Um in terms of, you know, maybe forgings, you're looking at, you know, JE, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um but, but you uh, guys make everyday driver pistons for all those cars too, exactly. like all OEM replacement pistons. Right. Yeah. Whether it's a Toyota or a small lock Chevy, we got it. No, that's, I mean, well, and I'm just stoked that we got a, you know, us VW guys got a guy on the inside pushing for us to get some better quality stuff out there on the market. So, so the, so the pistons called icon and you can get it from CB performance. You can get it from, 
uh, Type E Motorsports. Type, yep. You can get it from. Is it uh, does Double A sell them too? No, uh, AA doesn't. Okay. Um, I haven't haven't reached out to them yet because I kind of. I'm going to be honest. I kind of look at them as a competitor, obviously. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know. Then, um, and then who else? Ahead, so people want to buy these pistons. Who do they reach out to? Um, you could reach out to Dan Ruddock on the Samba. You could literally go up on CB Performance's website right now mm-hmm. and and see the uh, if you type in their search field icon, they'll come right up. Um, or if you go to typeemotorsports.com, um, he has them on his web- website now, both the 92s and the 94s. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always, if, if you're a shop and you want to become a dealer, I'm always open to that. Um, you know, it's. And they can get in touch with you. So if somebody's out there building engines, they want to get your pistons and stuff that they, how, where, how do they reach out to you? They can reach me. Uh, they can either call us directly um, at UEM, and I don't have that number in front of me. I'm That's all right. I'll, I'll put a link in the description <laughs> of the podcast for Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, or they can email me direct at tcleveland at uempistons.com. No, that's rad. Well, I'm I'm stoked, man. I'm gl- I'm glad that uh, that you're doing this. And I, and what's even better is you're an enthusiast, man. You're not doing. I mean, obviously everything has to be done for money because we don't. No one feeds oh, our family with kisses and hugs, right? But the right, but the, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, by being an insider and you're one of our, you're one of our guys, um, it, it's cool that, that you're able to, you know, here you are working for this huge, you know, uh, piston company and you're like, Hey, can we make some VW pistons guys are like, whatever, make some, make some of your dopey pistons. You know what I mean? But it's like, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm actually looking at the pistons. The pistons look like really good, high quality pistons. I mean, they look, they're. Okay. I mean, obviously, it would stand to reason. And so that dark gray on the, uh, that whole top crown, that all that dark gray that I'm looking at in the image, all of that is uh, anodizing. Correct. Yeah, that's slick, man. I dig yeah. that. Uh, on, on a side note, too, um, we, we also do other coatings in-house. Oh, really? You know, yeah. So if you you got this, you know, radical, you know, turbo project and, and whatnot, and you want to – you also want to do a ceramic thermal barrier on the crown. We can do that too. Really? We do that in house. Yeah. Um, if if anybody's out there familiar with line to line skirt coating, we do that in house also. You know. In fact, I have line to line skirt coating on the pistons in my engine right now. Nice. So it it's uh, it especially line to line. It it helps quiet down. You know, especially initial startup stuff like that. It's it helps maintain a tighter fit and a better oil wedge on the piston. So. Um, no. anyways, yeah, that's, sorry to, <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love, I mean, listen, man, it's, it's, it's one of the things that's needed in the industry are, is better quality parts by people right. that love the hobby. You know what I mean? Because the, 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 the challenge that we have with all the enthusiasts that manufacture stuff is their limitations for manufacturing. I would love right. to see nothing more than these pistons go flying off the shelf. Cause cause usually nine out of 10 times your cylinders are salvageable and good. It's usually your pistons that are going to be damaged and the cylinder, especially those cast iron cylinders. I mean, is there a difference in quality between, between like 20 year old 94 cylinder, 94 barrels and ones that are made today? Is there a difference in the quality? I I would say absolutely. Really? So if you got some old school uh, cylinders lying around, you guys make the slugs that go in them and, uh, you get yourself a a powerhouse. Now what's been the difference in, in, in manufacturing that you've seen people change? They just go with cheaper materials or faster production. 
Yeah, cheaper, quicker, you know, production. Um, mostly everything's coming from China these days. Um, uh, yeah, well, listen, I <laughs> I had to explain <laughs> it to a friend of mine that was chasing chasing pennies on a on a stone job, and he goes, "Man, right. I found this stone. It's the same stone you were going to sell me. It was like two bucks a foot cheaper." I said, "Well, I know how picky you are." I said, "Go take ten pieces." lay it out in your driveway and then look at it when the sun casts across it. And he says, right, man, there's, there's all these circles on it. And I said, well, what they do in China, they say, oh yeah, he doesn't want to pay as much. So skip three grits on that and just jump grits when you're polishing the stone. And he was just like, yeah, I said, yeah, because it, it, what they do in China, we say, yeah, I need it cheaper. Okay. Well, everything's in a direct sliding, you know, comparison where it's like, we're just going to go from, cheaper to we're, we're, we're just going to go to you know less process in the manufacturing standpoint you know what i mean so right we're going to skip a step we're going to use a, a a faster process or we're going to do something different so it, it's the same in every industry and when they go overseas and you say i want a better price they go how cheap do you want it <laughs> right yeah exactly you know? and and it's unfortunate because and i think especially as manufacturers of these large some of these large piston cylinder manufacturers have seen like eh, the volkswagen as a whole is waning a little bit you know so we can move that to our b level quality you know right because they're not looking at the same numbers that are going out there Right. So, yeah. No, that's that's interesting, man. So, guys could be out there swap meets collecting 94 millimeter barrels and, and getting some new. Yeah. I mean, the Rockwell hardness for sure is significantly different from what's available now. And that's the, and and that's done through a, a lot of times through the manufacturing process of the of the cast iron or the the hardening right. of yeah. it. Yeah. The the quality of the material going in, the heat treating process, etc. Well, what was funny is I was at the SEMA show just a month ago, and I started talking to a guy about uh, we were talking about brakes, and he we they were talking about you know the the forging process when Mm -hmm. they I I don't know brake rotors are forged they forged they cast they're cast. And yeah, some, some, the, yeah, some are both <laughs> the, the, what the, for the production cars are rough cast and then they're right. machined. And they were saying that the, the process, like they're not letting them cure or cool long enough. And you, you just, sometimes you just have to let them sit for right. X amount of time for them to just, for them to go through a couple ambient thermal cycles so that they kind of level out to where they're going to be before you machine them. Because what'll happen is I've often seen when, you know, I used to go to my buddy's shop all the time. He'd get a brand new rotor, chuck it up on a, on a, on a brake lathe and run it on there. And it would be out right from the factory. And he said it was because as the process has changed and it's all about time, they don't let stuff sit. Because it used to be back when it was a craft, it would be like we machine these and then these sit for a month. They got to sit for a right. month. Why do they got to sit for a month? Let's get them out tomorrow. But it's like that's the difference of what you get from manufacturing today to manufacturing yesterday. You know, there's a right. There's a different. There's a difference in the patience and the process. I guess it would be. You know, so no, that's yeah. that's interesting that the the Rockwell hardness would be quite a bit difference right. because the Rockwell hardness would also directly correlate to how that piston handles a thermal cycle or how that cylinder handles a thermal cycle too. It, right. Yeah. And it, and it will affect the way that that cylinder warps over time. And cause that, everything's going to take a set, you know, um, you know, a lot of the time 
the heat cycles and everything will actually bring the the rock well hardness up well some of what's available these days it's it's never going to get this <laughs> really so, i mean have, right, you, have yeah. you seen stuff out of the box that you're just like wow you can't you shouldn't even use this like yeah yeah i've shipped stuff right back wow you know? uh, so crazy. it's it, it, it's unfortunately and it and it's it's industry-wide it, it's not sure. just us you know it, it's you know it, it's small block chevy stuff that's been you know being done overseas too and yeah. you know uh, everybody used to complain well oh it's not every, those small block chevy guys get good quality stuff no they're, they're getting the same crap we are well yeah because they're now so, they're now second tier now right because right. now it's all about exactly. the ls the ls is like right. that's what everybody's doing that's what that's what the oes are doing and so that's right you know, all the guys that are buying replacement parts, all the stuff, that's what they're getting. So, right. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. Well, shoot. I, this has been a wealth of information. I'm super glad we got to sit down and chat and, yeah. uh, we'll definitely be, uh, we'll, we'll be talking again and anything, the next thing you get that's coming out, man, by all means, man, we'll get you on here. We'll talk about Absolutely. the new stuff that you're going to be doing, man. Yeah, I'll, and I'll, I'll send out notifications and stuff like that, and you know, reach out. We if we got another build coming down the line, I'd be happy to to donate. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, let me uh, let me. I'm gonna figure out what we got coming up, and uh, listen, I got <laughs> I got too many things that need too many things, so I just gotta I just <laughs> gotta to have. <laughs> yeah, I gotta write a list so I keep it all straight. I mean, I've got I've got yeah. so many crazy things happening right now, so. But yeah, no, listen, Trevor, it's been great to uh, chat with you. And next time you're in Vegas, for sure, look me up. Hopefully you'll come out to one crazy weekend uh, this next I year. I would love to come out yeah, this next year. I was, you know, unfortunately not able to make it down this year. Well, we've got the dates are booked. And, and what I did is uh, we're going to be adding a Thursday where I'm going to go to a bunch of um, local tourist opportunities that people would want to go to and make a map for a handful of those that will be extra friendly for VW people that may give a discount a and B preferred parking right up front. Because that was the thing I thought would be cool. Like if you come to Vegas, you want to drive your car around, you don't want your car just to be in a, in a parking lot somewhere. So if you could get right. like VIP parking up front where you know that your car is safe and, right. and not that there's much to worry about here in Vegas because it's not a hotbed for stealing VW stuff. But you know, when you got a cool custom car, man, you don't want it tucked away somewhere you know, right. in, in the ocean of nonsense. So that's, that's what we're working on to just to add Thursday. The rooms are super cheap. And okay. more importantly, it's just such a fun time to be out driving your Volkswagen with a bunch of other VW people. So it's really a big interactive event. So. All right. Man. Well, I'll put it on my calendar for sure. Well, for sure, brother. Glad to have you on man. And I appreciate the time. Oh, no, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You got it, brother. Thanks, man. Well, if you like that podcast, and I know you did, share it with your friends in the VW hobby. We love when you guys share the podcast. There's no better way than to grow our audience through organic sharing by our listeners. We got a lot of listeners out there all over the world, so I need all you guys. Yeah, you, I'm talking to you. It's your boy, Bill, here. I don't ask you for a lot. Share the podcast. I like to see it keep growing. It's continuing to grow over and over. We're the world's largest Volkswagen air-cooled podcast. Uh, I don't know how many others are out there, but uh, I don't think there's a bunch. So appreciate when you guys share the podcast. I work hard bringing you guys this stuff, and I love that you guys enjoy the content that we bring in. Lots more cool stuff coming up. And uh, don't forget, you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up some merch, go to Apple Podcasts, give me a five-star review. And until next week, guys, 
Later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. 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 Volkswagen.